In Job 20, we've got Zophar making his second and his final speech. And he starts, in fact, like nearly all the speeches start in Job. And he's typical here. They all start by saying, it's impossible not to speak. I've just got to say this. And the structure of Job is designed to lead us to wish they would all just cease this endless flow of words. And it's designed to lead up, I think, to a sort of a relief in our minds when God finally appears. And when God says that now I'm going to speak. Because we've been led by the, I think, the futility of all these words, both on Job's part and of the friends, to so want God to speak. And in fact, Job and the friends all ask for this. They all want God to speak. So Zophar feels, he says in verse 3, the check of my reproach. And he feels that because he's been, as he puts it, reproached, he simply must answer it. Now, this is a, a weakness that I think particularly affects religious people. Because there is error, or implications that are wrong about myself, about us as a community, about my positions, about our positions, then I must take this up. I must have my say. And that is not always, that is not always right. Those who do that are sometimes justified as being forthright for the truth, having a forthright personality, etc., but it's not actually the way that God goes, and it's not the way that actually, I think, a number of the faithful go. I mean, Jesus, for example, allowed a lot of error, for example, about demons, ghosts and stuff. He didn't have a policy of immediately taking someone up on a wrong statement or a wrong implication. He would have done nothing else but uh, come over as very critical and so I think really with Zophar and how it starts here in these first three verses, you see typical really of all the speeches and of Job's speeches as well, a big mistake that I must speak. And that's not really how, how it should be with all of us. We do not have to speak. And so often in our wiser moments, we look back and realize I could have just been quiet. So, what has Zophar got to say here? Well, all the way through this chapter, there are lots of allusions to Adam. And I want to just go through them, because there's so many of them. Um, And then we'll come back and think why he's making all these allusions to Adam. We start off in verse 4. He says, "Uh, don't you know, since man was placed upon earth, since Adam was placed, uh, he was placed in the Garden of Eden. And then in verses 6 and 7, he talks about the excellency of man, which is lust, and then man turns into the dust. Well, is that not Adam being in the image of God, but being returned to dust and driven out of Eden? Where is he? Verse 7 should be the question. You could say that alludes to Adam being driven out of Eden, uh, and also to the Lord's call to Adam. Where are you? Verse 11, the punishment for the hypocrite's sin was to lie back down in the dust. This again is Adam. Uh, he's got the, uh, the sin of his youth in his bones, verse 11. Rather like uh, Adam, uh, that, that his sin, uh, the result of it, had some physical effect upon his, uh, upon his being afterwards. 
Uh, verse 12, wickedness was sweet in his mouth, although he tried to hide it. Now that is Adam, is it not? Eating the fruit and trying to hide. Verse 15, God shall cast them out. That's the very language of Adam and Eve being cast out of Eden. They will be slain by the tongue of the snake. Verse 16. That's uh, the serpent in Eden. Uh, verse 17. So that no longer will they see the rivers on the paradise of butter and honey. Well, Eden was uh, a land of rivers, was it not? They're listed for us in early Genesis. That was the paradise, and he no longer saw it because he sinned. God's wrath will come upon the hypocrite while he is eating, verse 23. That's just like the situation in Eden while Adam was eating. Now, what does all this mean? Zophar seems to be saying that, look, Job, you're suffering terribly, and that means that you sin terribly. He was sure of that equation. And so he's saying that, Job, you are just like Adam. You've sinned real seriously, and you're suffering for it. Therefore, you are Adam. Therefore, the language of Adam is appropriate to you. Just as Adam sinned, and then he suffered, you have definitely sinned. You must have done. That's why you're suffering. Now, the implication of that is that it's only serious sinners that are like Adam. And... Adam is not every man. Adam is your serious sinner. And so Zophar was wrong in that. And Job kind of answers this. And he answers it, I think, wrongly in chapter 31, verse 33, where he says, If I covered my transgression as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom, etc. So he's saying, look, I haven't sinned like Adam. He's answering Zophar, although... um, that this is uh, quite a, a way, uh, ten chapters later, in chapter 31, he's coming back to this and saying, look, I'm not like Adam. Yet he says this. And I think here we see the big mistake. That both of them needed to be corrected by the appearance of God dr- drastically and dramatically, as we know, and his conviction of Adam, uh, sorry, of Job, as a sinner, as being Adam. And so the point is that Adam is every man. And I would suggest, and you can do this for your homework if you like, that on every page of the Bible there is an allusion back to Adam and Eve, making broadly that point that we are Adam, that Adam is every man. But the whole record there, back in, in early Genesis, is, I think, designed to lead us down the track of thinking, oh, Adam, you idiot, you absolute idiot, how could you do that? You moron, you threw it all away so cheaply. And yet, you know, the thing in the tale is that Adam is every man, that that is us. And the shame of condemnation, this is exactly ours. It absolutely must be. And so the whole point of the story of Job is that he's being led through uh, his uh, relationship with God, through this empty, dumb dialogue with the friends, to come to a point where he really and truly is convicted that he is Adam, and that he has sinned, uh, and that he should feel as Adam, and yet there is the, the hope of redemption for him, just as there was for Adam, through this gracious promise of the, uh, the seed of the woman. And so, 
this is exactly the path that God is leading you and I down. Now, you come to verses 4 and 5. Job is being accused here by Zophar, very definitely, of being the wicked, the hypocrite. And in verse 29, this is the portion of a wicked man from God. So, Zophar is so convinced that suffering comes from sin. He's so sure, therefore, that because Job's suffering, Job has definitely sinned. Seriously and big time. He's wicked. He's a wicked man. And yet he obviously looked at the good deeds of Job, which it's apparent Job had done, and he concludes, well, that must therefore have been mere hypocrisy. Therefore, Job is a hypocrite. Now, not only was Zophar wrong in his uh, theology that suffering must come from sin, uh, but also in his logic. In our previous uh, study on Zophar in chapter 11, we, we pointed this out with this guy, his idea is, if A implies B, that is, suffering implies you've committed major sin, then therefore Job simply must be B. He must be a major sinner. And of course Job's response is to say that, no, I'm not a major sinner. And this false path of logic is followed all the time. Because to me A implies B, therefore you are B. And it's not so. It's rather like people who say, well, if you believe in, if, if, that Jesus is God, then you believe there's two gods. And the Trinitarian, etc., will say, oh, no, I don't. What I mean by saying that Jesus is God is so-and-so. And this basic error of reasoning happens so often that because to me, A implies B, within my worldview, my frame of understanding, that, is not necess- that does not necessarily mean that because A is happening to you, therefore B is true about you. Although it seems to logically follow to me, that is not ultimately the case. And so often relationships break down. There are fallouts, arguments, conversations come to a meaning, meaningful end, uh, a meaningless end, uh, and dialogue is not achieved, uh, etc. Um, you know, serious damage in relationships occurs exactly because of this because in my opinion if you do that that means that you're this and it's not the case at all because if you then talk to the person they will always say no 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 I don't think that Uh, as I gave example when we talked about chapter 11 you could say to someone look if you believe that Jesus is God you believe Mary is the mother of God and therefore you're wrong, therefore you're a liar, therefore you're totally in darkness. And most Protestants would say, yeah, I believe Jesus is God, but I don't think Mary's the mother of God. No, I don't. So the answer to your logical assumption is that basically you are wrong, because you said in, in your own mind, this guy believes that because Jesus is God, therefore Mary's the mother of God. Well, the bottom line is that the guy said, no, I don't believe that. So therefore... Actually, you were wrong in that assumption, because the guy then will go back and say, yeah, what I meant by Jesus being God is this, that, and the other. And that's in a theological context, but this happens in so many ways in relationships, etc. And you can see how Zophar ended up hating Job, really, and being really against him, was initially his friend. And yet the relationship got sour because of this false path of logic 
And because of this failure to see that actually what logically follows to me is not necessarily globally true. In this case, that if you suffer, it is definitely because you've sinned. Now, he says in verse 19 about Job, he has oppressed and has forsaken the poor. Well, in chapter 31, Job explicitly denies this, and he demonstrates its sensitivity, his generosity to the poor. And yet, so far so dogmatic that he's saying, look, you're suffering, you therefore have sinned, and I bet that therefore you oppressed and forsook the poor, and therefore all your good deeds for the poor were just acting, was hypocrisy. And so it leads him to slander. Not so much, I think, by vindictiveness, just, you know, I think I shall slander Job today, but because of this false path of logic that he's in, and because of uh, the lack of humility to recognize that what seems to logically follow to me may not be globally true. That's not to say that there is not truth. Uh, as, as a sort of global reality but truth is in Christ and truth is in God's word and not in our intellectual process in other words yes there is absolute truth out there uh, but this is in the Lord's hands and the ultimate truth as I say is